Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. When you found your place, please stand for reading of God's Word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. Good morning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Death will be no more, grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. From Genesis to Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, these words were written so that we may come to know you. Father, I pray that each person here, both physically and watching online, Lord, I pray that they have a, a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that if they do not, that today you would speak through Ben and convict those hearts, Lord, that they may turn to you, repent of their sin, and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. We do thank you for this church. Thank you for what it stands for, the truth that it stands upon. Lord, I pray for each one of the people within the sound of my voice, Lord, that you touch them this very day and speak through Ben mightily this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being in God's house. I know it's difficult as you go throughout the week. The world likes to beat us up and likes to uh, knock us around a little bit throughout the week, but it's nice to be able to come to a place where you're loved, you're a part of the family, and that you can get some encouragement from God's Word. And that's what I hope and pray for today, that you all leave encouraged and you all leave with a little bit of joy in your heart. Uh, don't go home and turn on ABC News or Fox News. Stay away from the news today and just enjoy God's beautiful creation. And today we're going to talk about God's creation and how he's made it for us and what we can expect in the future if you've come to a place where you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. So as we're in this series, The Last Days, we're at our final sermon. And today the title of my sermon is called Happily Ever After. We all like stories that end happily ever after, don't we? You know, I've watched movies or read books before where the story doesn't end quite happily, I guess you could say. They end in a, in a weird cliffhanger or in a, a, a doom-type situation or a sad situation. And you know, in my opinion, that is just unnatural. No story should end in a sad way. No story should end without a happy ending. And I think we as human beings long for happy endings. And you may say, well, Ben, maybe that's because Hollywood has conditioned us to like happy endings. Well, I'm here to tell you that is not the reason that we as creatures who live on this planet desire happy endings. We desire happy endings because God has created within us an innate love for a happy ending. And today, did you know that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is 66 books written by several different authors throughout history? inspired by the Holy Spirit, but yet all 66 books go together just like this. They've been written over a course of two to three millennium, 
But yet, it's a cohesive and beautiful story from Genesis 1-1 to the very last chapter of Revelation. And I love how all this has worked out through our Bible study groups. We just got done with Revelation last week. We've gotten into, back into the beginning of Genesis 1 this morning. But you don't realize how much Genesis 1 has to do with Revelation 22 as we talk about the way this whole thing ends. And believe me, I believe that God wants you to hear this today for your encouragement. So as we talk today, we're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. So far, through our series, the first series, this first sermon in our series, we talked about the beginnings of sorrows, which we believe we are in now. As we start to see the, the world system and the spirit of the Antichrist begin to turn the people of this world more and more against the things of Jesus. You know, the Bible teaches us that in the last days, right will be wrong and wrong will be right. And we're starting to see that more and more now where logic has gone out the door. Uh, everyone is thinking illogically. Everyone has their own truth. It's, it's relative truth. And everyone decides what's truth to them. But we understand from a Christian worldview that there is an objective truth, that there is a truth that never changes. And when we begin to play with and change the truth of God, the foundational truth of all creation, we start to see chaos. We start to see disorder. We start to see the devaluing of human life everywhere that we look. We start to see things like policies of euthanasia where older people are, are kind of being hurried into their place of death. We start to see um, people who are uh, uh, obtaining physician-assisted suicide. We start to see that um, from the legalization, uh, the court case, Roe versus Wade, some 60,000 unborn children have been uh, murdered and killed in our nation. And you start to say, Ben, why has our society stopped caring about human life? Why has human life become devalued to this place where everyone is out for their own, everyone is out for what they can get, and they're willing to run over anyone and everyone who gets in their way? It is simply this. It is the spirit of the Antichrist, the desire of humanity to be their own gods, and a rejection of the truth of God that is found in God's word. So now we know we are in the beginnings of sorrows. Then our second sermon was about the rapture, about the time when the Lord Jesus will come back in the clouds and he will call all of those who know him to heaven, both those who have died and gone on before and also those who are alive and remain. And then we understand that the rapture begins a seven-year tribulational period where the earth goes through a severe judgment of seven years. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, we talked about the Battle of Armageddon, where all of the armies of the Antichrist come against unbelieving Israel, and then the Lord Jesus comes out on the cloud, followed by the saints to destroy the wicked armies of the Antichrist. And then we understand the thousand-year millennial reign that then comes after the Battle of Armageddon. When the Lord Jesus Christ sits on his throne in Jerusalem, in the temple, in Jerusalem, on earth, and rules for a thousand years. And now we come to this last sermon, the new heaven and the new earth, happily ever after. So as, as it was so well read earlier, we're going to read a little bit more. We're going to go back to Revelation chapter 21, if you guys will turn your Bibles and there's really three different things that I want you to see today about the new heaven and the new earth. And the first thing that I want you to see, if you're taking notes, write this down. It is brand new. It is brand new. We find that in chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. We're going to read that again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, 
God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And you can say amen right there. Death will be no more. Aren't you glad to hear that? Oh, we've seen enough death. Uh, grief and crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then in verse 5, the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. As we come to the end of the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, we see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, that Satan, the false prophet, and the beast are cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. That great enemy that always plagued God's children is finally thrown into the lake of fire. We also see that before the new heaven, the new earth began, there is what's known as the great white throne judgment. Now, all of us have seen the movies, you know, they depict the judgment of God. You know, some of them will have people standing before uh, Peter, uh, St. Peter, and saying, you know, Peter, let me into heaven. And Peter's asking, why, why should we let you in? Some people may depict even God himself judging people as they pass from this life into the next. But the great white throne judgment, I'm here to say, is not for saved people. The great white throne judgment is for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what the Bible teaches is, is that as they stand before God at the great white throne judgment, which will take place at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign, that all of the dead will be resurrected. Those who died in the sea, those who are, who are buried, those who perhaps are even cremated, and God brings their bodies back, and he ushers them into his presence. And what they have to stand there and say is, is, God, you should let me into heaven because... And what God is going to do is he's going to stand there and he's going to listen to them. And then he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who work iniquity. And the reason is, is because of this. No matter how much good you do, you're still a sinner. No matter how much good I do, I'm still a sinner. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If I were to ask each one of you individually, have you ever sinned? And you told me, no, Ben, I'm perfect. You know what I'm going to call you? A liar. You're a liar. Even my children, the youngest of my children, defy us as parents. They defy what they're supposed to do. They go against it. You know why? Because humanity is created, ingrained with a sinful nature. You have that sinful nature living within you. You do what you know you're not supposed to do, and yet you don't do what you know you should do. And that's the way it is with humanity. And that's why we are fallen, and that's why we need a Savior. That's why when I stand before God one day, I'm going to say, Lord, let me in because of the blood of Jesus. Let me in because of your righteousness and your holiness, not because of mine. Let me in because there was a time and a place in my life where I said, yes, Jesus, you're Lord. Yes, Jesus, you are everything. Yes, Jesus, you died so that I could be saved. Forgive me. Let me in for that reason, Lord. And you know what he'll say? Come in and enjoy the treasures of heaven. Come on in, my child. Listen, we have a God who loves us so much that he wasn't willing to let us die in our sin. He wasn't willing to let us die in hopelessness. He wasn't willing to just say, you know what? I'm going to forsake them and I'm going to let them live in their sin. I'm just going to let them have it their way. He said, no, I'll send my precious son, Jesus, to take a criminal's cross on his back, to be beaten, to be ridiculed, to be humiliated, to be beaten without even recognition so that they could be saved. See, what happened when Jesus hung on the cross 
was Jesus hung on the cross in my place. See, Ben was supposed to be on that cross. Ben was supposed to be beaten. Ben was supposed to be humiliated. Ben was supposed to be treated as though he was dirt and as though he was a criminal. But the God of heaven did not count it beneath him, did not count it as though something that he was above in order to willingly die in the place of someone like me and someone like you. Hey, listen, you, you, know, you go to these motivational speakers and they tell you about how good you are. We know the Bible doesn't tell us about how good we are. You know what the Bible's about? How good God is. And you know what? This new heaven and new earth we're talking about, it's an eternity in his presence. It's an eternity in beautiful, unadulterated relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who willingly died so that we could be saved. No other faith tradition on planet earth professes a God who is willing to die for his creation. Not one, not Islam, not Hinduism, not Wicca. No other faith tradition talks of a God like this, a God who is willing to pay the price for my sins. You know, one thing I think we could all probably agree on is that we like things that are brand new, don't we? I mean, no one can tell me that they don't like a shiny, brand new car. And you know, when you get in, the best thing about it is that new car smell. You know it? I mean, it, it, shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be so nice to smell it, but it is. You know, and I'm sure it's just a combination of chemicals and leather and all this other stuff, but we love to smell that stuff. And I, I don't even know that it smells good. I think it's just because we know it's brand new and we like it. We like new stuff, don't we? You know, you say, well, Ben, why, why, do, why do human beings like new stuff? Why, why, do we, why are we so obsessed with new things, things that look nice? Well, again, we have a common creator, a creator who has designed us to want to live in something new, a creator who has designed us to desire things that are new. You may say, well, Ben, why does heaven have to be new? Why is the earth going to be made new? What's wrong with it the way it is? Because God is going to make it perfect. Because God is going to make it as it should be. We were talking in our Bible study class this morning as we look out at the mountains. You know, and you see the beauty of God's creation. Did you know that that beauty is under a curse right now? That as you look out at these beautiful mountains, that is beauty under a curse. One day in the new heaven and the new earth, you've not seen anything yet. Can you imagine what we see without any curse at all on it? Without the curse of sin, just pure, unadulterated perfection and beauty. But you know, when we look out at these mountains and we look out at this beautiful creation, God has just given us a small taste of what heaven is going to be like. Did you know that heaven is not us all floating around on clouds playing harps? Did you know? Thank God. I mean, I, I used to see stuff like that. I was like, man, I don't want to go to heaven. Why would I want to go to some boring place? Listen, heaven is nothing like that. Heaven is going to be here on earth. You say, Ben, I really like things like they are. I like my home. I, I like getting to go outside and get dirty. You know, I, I like to go out into nature and hike through the woods. Did you know that heaven is going to offer that and more? That we are going to be on this planet. Do you realize that? You go outside and go and just grab a handful of dirt. And you hold that dirt in your hands. Did you know that's the same dirt that the new earth is going to be on? It's going to be here. So don't think that heaven is some far, far place, far, far away. The new heaven and the new earth will be right here where we are today. Now when you think about how is God going to make this thing new? How is God going to take the earth that we have now and how is he going to make it what it's supposed to be, the way it was meant to be even back in the Garden of Eden? Well, if you look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, God gives us a glimpse of how he's going to achieve that goal. By the same word, verse 7 says, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
We know that at the end of the millennial reign, there will be a massive army that will assemble, that Satan will lead against the people of God as Jesus is ruling on the throne in Jerusalem. And it says that God will destroy those armies at the end of the millennial reign. Now, I'm not talking about Armageddon. I'm talking about another war that will take place at the end of the millennial reign. And at the end of that judgment is when the earth will be purged by fire. There will be a great heat that consumes this planet and destroys everything on it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13 say this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away and with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten his coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen. So the way that God is going to make this place new is he's going to consume it with fire. He's going to cleanse the surface of this planet and he's going to build and create the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, Randy Alcorn, I don't know if any of you guys have read that book, Heaven by Randy Alcorn, but I would certainly suggest that you read it. It is the most comprehensive, systematic study of heaven that I've ever seen. And as you know, heaven is probably talked about less in churches than hell. Actually, hell is mentioned more in the Bible than heaven, but it's so beautiful to see it from a biblical perspective. Randy Alcorn said this, if heaven is truly our home, we should expect it to have the qualities we associate with home. Graham Scroggie, another theologian, said this, future existence is not a, pure, is not a purely spiritual existence. In other words, the, the existence that we'll have in heaven is not going to be purely spiritual because it demands a life in a body and in a material universe. You know, sometimes as Christians, we, 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 we demean our bodies. We say, our body's cursed by sin, it's no good, I can't wait to get rid of this body and, and where my spirit can go to heaven. And yes, currently, those who have gone on before us who have died, yes, their body and their spirit are separated because Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but we are not meant to exist eternally without a physical body. As the new earth is being mentioned, it talks about things that you can see, things that you can taste, things that you can touch, that you have to have a physical body for. See, Jesus Christ today is not a spirit floating around in heaven after he resurrected. Jesus has a physical body. You could walk up to Jesus right now as he is in heaven on his throne and you could touch his physical body. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus rose from the dead and he was walking on earth for some 40 days talking to his apostles, talking to his disciples, his mother, other people, it says that he would eat while he was with them. Listen, a ghost can't eat. A ghost doesn't have a stomach that can hold food. Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead and he has flesh and bones this very day. And one day when we rise from the dead at that great resurrection and our spirit is reunited with our body, guess what? We're gonna have a physical body. We need a physical body in order to live on the new heaven and the new earth, a place where we can enjoy and we can love. See, we were created to live on this planet. Did you know that? We were created to be here forever. Adam and Eve created outside of sin, no sin. God created them beautifully and perfectly for the environment of this planet. And God's will is not for us to leave this planet. His will is not for us to spend eternity away from earth. His will is for us to live here forever with him. 
That is the truth about the future heaven. It's time we start seeing heaven as the home that it is. It's time we start understanding and stop looking through the eyes of Hollywood and the eyes of people who just make up stuff. It's time that we start seeing heaven through the eyes of Scripture because I believe when we do, we'll actually start looking forward to it. We'll stop trying to keep people out of heaven. We'll stop trying to keep ourselves out of heaven. We'll quit just trying to go on and on and on and try to build our kingdoms on this earth, understanding that one day it's all going to be so much better. So we spend more time, and I think any of your Bible study groups, I'd say if you did a poll and you started to study, out of all the prayer requests that are in your Bible study groups, what do you hear the most? Please heal my sick loved one. Please heal my sick friend. Please get so-and-so out of the hospital. And when you think about that, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But have we ever started praying for lost people? Because, listen, we're praying to keep Christians out of heaven is what we're doing. Now, I'm I'm not trying to tell you that you shouldn't pray for people to be healed. But I think maybe we should pray more like this. God, your will be done. Because you know what? It may be God's time for him to take your loved one home. And why in the world would we want to keep them from such a beautiful place? You know what? Maybe we should start asking God, would you save my lost loved one? So that if they do die, I know where they're going. So that they can have a relationship with you like I have. I think maybe our perspective needs to be a little bit different. Let me just give you an example. Let's say you're at a party. And you're at this party and you go with your friend and you walk in It's decent, it's nice, you know, there's some decent appetizers, some good conversations or whatever, but it's just kind of so-so, you know, it's all right. And you think to yourself, I'm going to wait about another hour and I think maybe the party will get a little bit better. Then your friend comes up to you and says, you know what, let's get out of here, let's just go home. So you're like, all right, let's go. And you're disappointed because you were looking forward to having a a good time and getting to spend time with um, people, having conversations and just getting to enjoy yourself. Well, you and your friend are traveling back to your house, and when you get to your house, um, you and your friend walk up to the door, and you're still kind of down and out. You open the door, you flip on the light, and the moment you flip on the light, it's full of everybody that you love, saying, surprise, surprise, and it's a big surprise party. And you begin to smell food that you love. You're in the comfort of your home, and you're around all those whom you love so much. You go back, and you think about that previous party, and you think, you know what? If I had stayed at that party a couple more hours just hoping that it would get better, then I would not have gotten to experience the real party at home. That's the same way heaven's going to be. You know, we stick around and we say, you know what, just hoping this will get better. I'm hoping I can add another 20 grand to my 401k. I'm hoping that, you know, maybe I can buy that next new truck that I've been wanting. Maybe I can, you know, get that house at the lake and maybe I can just make this life a little bit better. But we fail to remember that this is not the real party. This is not really the best. God has the best for us, and that's going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. You know, and, and this, this whole thing about COVID has just completely uh, destroyed our society, and it's just been such an unfortunate event as the people who have died from COVID, and we mourn that loss, and then also the different things that are coming against us where, you know, we've, we've lost a lot of our freedoms, and, and there's just been so much fear, and it's just been so, much un, un, so many unknowns, I guess you could say. And as we think through that, we begin to think, well, when's it going to get better When's this thing going to go away? And I'm here to tell you that it may not. I'm here to tell you that don't put your hope in this life getting better because we have something far better waiting for us, that new heaven and that new earth. You know what? One day when I've been in heaven for about 10,000 years and you know, I start thinking about my life that I spent on a sin-cursed earth, I'm going to realize just how short and how little that was 
in comparison to all of eternity. Hey, we got something to be happy about today. He said, Ben, I don't want to leave my Ford truck. I love my truck, and I, they may not have Ford trucks in heaven, Ben. Listen, I promise you, you ain't going to care one thing about that Ford truck up in glory. Because you're going to have the Lord Jesus Christ that you can go and talk to. Hey, you know what? I believe you're going to get to still go in the woods. You may not get to hunt, but maybe the Lord will let you shoot some stuff, okay? But listen, I promise you, it's going to be good. Everything you enjoy about this earth, listen, I believe that it's going to be there and even more so when we go to heaven. So let's not try to prolong this party and put off the real party. The second thing I want you to see about the new heaven and the new earth is not only is it brand new, but it's also ancient. I know that's a paradox, but I'm going to explain that here. How can something be brand new and something be ancient? It just doesn't quite make sense, does it? So in uh, chapter 22 of Revelation, if you'll turn there, we're going to read the first five verses of chapter 22, and we're going to start looking and see how this city resembles something that is very ancient. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse, praise God. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. You know, I was talking earlier about how there's some things that we just, we just love new stuff, right? But I think there's also something about us that likes old stuff. You know, Hannah and I, one of our favorite places to go is Charleston, South Carolina. That's where we went on our honeymoon. And when you walk through the streets of Charleston, South Carolina, there is no doubt that that city embodies the beauty of colonial architecture, Georgian architecture. It's just an absolute beauty. It's, it's just something so different, almost as though it takes you back in time to a different culture, to a different place. And there's something about that that we love. There's something about that that just kind of gives us a nostalgia that we can't explain. Well, did you know that heaven is also going to have the qualities of something that was long ago that existed a long time ago? It's the Garden of Eden. As we look through the biblical narrative of the Bible, and what I mean by narrative, I mean the story of Scripture, this, this cohesive story that begins in Genesis 1 and it goes all the way to Revelation. We understand that it all began with God creating the heavens and the earth. And as he created the heavens and the earth, he created this beautiful paradise for Adam and Eve called the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, it was fruit like you could never imagine. And I promise you that Adam and Eve did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they were hungry. Because I would say there were apples in that garden that big around, the most beautiful apples you've ever seen. Just a perfect, uncursed paradise that God created for them. And then when man entered into sin and he said, God, I don't want your way. I don't care what you say is right or wrong. I want to eat the apple because I know it'll make me like you. I know, God, that if I eat the apple, that my eyes will be open and I can be like a God, even as the serpent told Eve. When man did that, it plunged this beautiful paradise, this beautiful creation into a curse. Now we understand, you know what? Uh, Pastor Steve was telling me, he got uh, lit up by yellow jackets the other day. You know what? There's not going to be any yellow jackets in heaven. You know, that's part of the curse. Poisonous snakes, guess what? They're not going to be in heaven. 
all of those things that agitate creation. You ever noticed how just even wildlife gets agitated? You watch a lion attack prey. And by the way, male lions are the sorriest thing ever. It's the females that do all the hunting. Did y'all know that? But you, you see that female lion take down an antelope and it just ripped that thing to shreds. You're like, man, who made, who made her mad? You know, she must be married to somebody like me, you know? But it, it, it's a tension that creation feels. The, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, the tornadoes, the floods. What is going on with creation? Creation is mad. Creation is groaning and it's saying, this is not how it was supposed to be. The curse, it hurts. There's pain, there's death. There's people that are in hopelessness. Suicide rates are up. Why is it so terrible? It's because of the curse of sin. Sin has taken what God made to be beautiful and has made it ugly. Sin has taken the beauty and the value of human life and has turned it into garbage. And listen, the new heaven and the new earth is not just God showing off, but it's God turning things back to way they originally intended to be. And as we look at that and as we think about that, we see that in the new heaven, there is going to be a river of the water of life. Did you know in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, when the Bible talks about the Garden of Eden, it says, a river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. Hey, in the new heaven, new earth, the river is going to be coming from the throne of God. In the Garden of Eden, it came from the garden. But in the new heaven, the new earth, it'll be coming from his throne. Also, we see there is a tree of life also in the new heaven. Remember the tree of life in the garden? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says this, The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hey, you starting to see some familiar things here? Hey, not only is the new heaven, the new earth new, but it's also ancient. We also see there that there will be no more curse. We see that in verse 3 of chapter 22 in Revelation. There will be no more curse in the new heaven. Genesis chapter 3 verses 14 through 19 say this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it for you are dust and you will return to dust. Verse three of Revelation chapter 22 and there will no longer be any curse. You might wanna underline that today. That is something to celebrate. Praise God. Ladies, you ever given birth to a child? You're praising God right now, aren't you? Thank God. Men, you work from the sweat of your brow, which there's fewer and far between men who are willing to do that nowadays. But those of you who have worked by the sweat of your brow and toiled and had issues with things growing, had issues with paying bills, had issues with providing for your family, guess what? One day, there's not going to be any more curse. The throne of God will also be in the new heaven and the new earth. We find that in verse 3. 
We find in Genesis 3.23, the Bible says this, so the Lord God sent them away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Here in the new heaven, new earth, we're gonna be in the presence of God. But in the Garden of Eden, man was made to leave the presence of God because of sin. Certainly something to be happy about there. We also see that God put something on Cain's forehead. See, in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 22, we understand that we will bear the mark of God on our foreheads. And it may, you, know, you may think, was well, it going to be a tattoo, Ben? Listen, I don't know what it's going to be. But one thing is for sure, when someone looks at us, they're going to know that we're gods. We're going to bear his mark. But in Genesis, when you go back to what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be, we see Cain who killed his brother Abel out of hatred of his heart. And what did God do for Cain? In Genesis 4.15, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Did you know that we won't have to worry about murder. We won't have to worry about death again. The mark that was put on mankind was so that people would not kill him. But one day there's going to be a mark put on us that shows us and shows everyone else that we are God's and that he is our father. Verse five, it teaches us in Revelation 22, there's no need for the sun. There's no need for the moon. There's no need for the stars. Why? Because God himself will illuminate heaven. God himself and his glory will be light for us. We see in Mark chapter 13, Verses 24 through 25, the Bible says this, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Genesis 1, 14 through 19 says this, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on earth. Won't it be great in the new heaven and the new earth? We won't even need the sun. We won't even need the moon. We won't need the stars because the Lord God Almighty is going to be our light. You know what we keep seeing? The curse of this planet is second best. The life that we have here is second best, and there is a much better day coming. And you can say amen to it. You can be thankful because God has got his very best for us. The last thing that I want us to see, we know that the new heaven, the new earth, it's going to be brand new. We know that it's going to be ancient, but I, this is the final thought that I want to leave you with. It is going to be all about Jesus. Amen. The new heaven and the new earth will be all about him. You know, every great movie... Every great book, every great story has a star of the show. And a lot of times you can watch it and very quickly within watching a movie or reading a book, you'll find who the star of the show is. Well, let me tell you what, there, heaven is not going to be any different. There will be a star of the show and it will be King Jesus. It will be him and him alone. If you go to Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 12, this is the very last little passage that we find in scripture. And guess who the star is? Jesus. Beginning in verse 12 of Revelation 22, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. Here we go. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who is this alpha and omega? Who is this first and the last? Who is this? Who is the beginning and the end? We go to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and the morning star. 
In Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus here says, I am the beginning and the end. The same Jesus in Revelation 22 is the same Jesus who spoke the world into creation. He is that same God who was in the beginning creating the heavens and the earth. You go to John chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Guess what? This same Jesus in Revelation 22 is the same Jesus who was with God in the beginning, who is God, who spoke all things into existence from nothing by the word of his mouth. In the new heaven and the new earth, Jesus is the one making all things new. And we see that in Revelation 21.5 when it says, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. The end of the story, the end of the biblical narrative is a happy ending because God makes all things new. And aren't you glad that he doesn't just make the earth new, but he makes us new? You know, the Bible teaches us that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, all things are made new. Did you know that God is in the business of making things new? You may, say to you, you may say to me this morning, Ben, you know, I have been going through such a difficult time. I have been battling sin. And you know what, Ben? I'm not sure that God has ever made me new. I'm not so sure that I know where I'm gonna go when I die. I'm not so sure that I have ever genuinely accepted the Lord Jesus. This morning is your time. The Bible teaches us now is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. Don't put it off. Don't say, you know what, Ben, I, I'm still searching. I'm still thinking through this stuff. Maybe tomorrow I'll accept Jesus. Or maybe next Sunday, if you give another altar call, maybe then I'll accept Jesus. You're not guaranteed your next breath. And listen, you want to be made new? You want to know what true joy is? You want to have the hope of an eternal future with the God of the universe? There's only one way to heaven, the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. There's one way to heaven this morning. It's by the blood of Jesus, by the price that he paid for you on the cross. And when you say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. And I know that you died for me and you rose again. Will you save me, Jesus? The Bible teaches us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. It's not based upon how often you go to church. It's not based upon how good you are. It's not based upon how you were raised. It's not based upon how, how, how much money you give to charities. Listen, you get to heaven based upon the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last time I checked, that's a pretty good deal. Amen. So today, as we bow our heads, close your eyes, we're going to go into a time of reflection. 